Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. They seem like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad cases. I've never had no bad cases, really. It's Friday, September 16th, and oh boy, we've got a hell of a show for you today. Andy Barron's the king of the waiver wire, is back. He's well-rested. He's had time to take Izzy out for a walk. Hopefully, she is still sky high on Leonard Fournette. Uh, at least I'm hoping so. But he's ready to help us preview some of these Week 2 games that are on the schedule, and we have a hell of a lot of them. Andy, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, Izzy's got Bob Tunyon thoughts, uh, and that's going to have to wait until a little bit later in the show. But uh, she'll she'll make her presence felt at some point here. Awesome. Uh, I, that, that's good to know. Um, my dogs are on full on tilt because they're tenting the building next to us. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't even have them in the room with me because there's too much noise going on out there. So um, we won't get anything from Peach and Chuck, but hopefully we'll get something from Izzy later on. But like I said, we got serious business here today, Andy. No news to talk about. Thank God. Um, as I say this, I'm sure something will break, you know, 30 minutes into the podcast. But we'll jump right into these week two games, starting with Buccaneers at Saints. Remember, I have these ordered in basically my subjective decision on what are the most interesting games or the most consequential fantasy games. Yeah. Um, and, and Andy and I will go and drop in, you know, our one big thing to kind of watch or know, and we'll end up talking about everything in the game, but starting here with bucks at saints, the bucks are two and a half point favorites, uh, 44 over under, you know, Andy, why don't you give me your first thing that you want to, uh, you, you want to talk on here. First thing that I'm, and I'm a little nervous about this as somebody who's got Alvin Kamara in a couple of different places. Um, he saw, he saw four targets in the opener and that was in a game in which obviously the, you know, the saints coming from behind in the fourth quarter, put the ball in the air a lot by their standards, by Jameis's standards. And not a lot of it went to Alvin Kamara, obviously in the Drew Brees years, he was he was completely you know uh, matchup proof, uh, game flow proof. Didn't matter. He was either going to run the ball or if you know if they were going to throw the ball fifty times, he was going to be the biggest part of that. And that might not be the case with Jameis, right? It wasn't the case last year. Um, Kamara was had his first season with 
less than than 80 receptions and it was a lot less than 80 receptions right and it's just i know he was like a little banged up had the rib thing probably going to be fine going forward but it's a little troubling knowing that Jameis, when he's dropping back to pass uh is is looking deep downfield right he's always among the dot leaders just a little i'm a little concerned um because alvin kamara at like 40 receptions or 38 receptions is a lot less interesting it's much less interesting, and I, I think there's reason to be a little concerned about it because they have good receivers, man. I mean, like, there's no need yeah. to dump the ball off to your running back. Even if your running back is Alvin frickin' Kamara, there's really no reason to to dump the ball off 80-plus you know plus times to him when you have Michael Thomas, when you have Jarvis Landry, when you have Chris Olave. And your point is well taken about, like, Jameis Winston's passing style because, I mean, Jarvis Landry involved in, like, downfield routes, right? Like... Well, his, uh, his, he has almost 17 yards per catch. He has a 13.7 uh, average depth of target, man. Like, that's that's not typical Jarvis Landry bunny hop stuff. And even Michael Thomas, when you go back and watch that game, he's not catching little pop gun slant routes. Yep. Like, he's not running. He's not even running a ton of, like, slant routes. Like, he's getting downfield routes, too. We know Chris Olave is a downfield receiver. So I, I do think there's reason to be a little concerned about this biggest biggest catch in the game was Jarvis Landry 40 yards down the sideline which is just not what you think Dude. of when you think of Jarvis <laughs> yeah exactly right like I think this Saints offense is just going to look really different because I have maintained with Michael Thomas for years that the reason he got the slant boy moniker is that Drew Brees it couldn't throw the ball downfield much like Ben Roethlisberger's got Deontay Johnson in the, in the pop gun you know category as well even though Mitch Trubisky looks like he's going to continue uh continue pop gunning it down the field there so I think this offense is just going to look very very different um that could be an issue with with Kamara and you know also by the way like this is a good run defense right like we, we typically yeah. think it's a good run defense although uh Zeke Elliott had some moments against this team so I, I do think like Kamara until we see it is maybe like a low end one high end two right does, does that sound right to you yeah, that's where I've got him ranked, and it it just it feels weird. It feels really weird. Feels weird because um, a lot of great reports on him throughout the summer. Obviously, once he it seems like he dodged the suspension issue, and if that's the case, like it seemed like all systems go. But again, four targets in a game in which they were desperate to come from behind is just not what you're accustomed to. Yeah, there was the game last year too with Jameis where they just ripped him up as a pass. You know, used him as a pass catcher and ripped up the Seattle Seahawks defense. Like, there's probably going to be games like that. You you assume, even though Sean Payton's not around anymore, you probably can assume there's going to be games like that with with Kamara. But uh, we will see. We'll see. Um, my my thing, and this kind of goes with both both teams here, is are we going to get the same wide receiver usage um, on both sides? And you know, we talked just talked about the Saints a little bit. I, I don't know about you. Are you like? just rolling Jarvis Landry out as a wide receiver three. I'm not necessarily like there yet. I'm also, I'm still a little hesitant to bump Michael Thomas up into like the clear cut wide receiver two range. But, um, you know, Chris Olave still ran the same amount of uh, routes as Michael Thomas, or at least it was close. Yeah. 31 routes, 31 routes for these two guys. So um, I think he'll have moments too. I think this could just kind of move, you know, around a lot. And then the Tampa side too, man, like, I'll give Julio credit, dude. He looked pretty good on Sunday night, right? Like, the, and they were getting him some like design touches. They got him deep down the field as well, and that that part of it. I mean, is Julio like the healthiest Bucks wide receiver right now, potentially? Because Michael, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird, even though he missed yeah. practice this week, he's probably just going to get veteran days off here and there. Mike Evans, who always kind of gets locked up by uh, Marshawn Lattimore, it's like one of the weirdest uh, rivalries in football, right? These two guys up against each other. 
Um, but, you know, Julio could end up having a pretty big game in this spot because Mike Evans is also dealing with a calf injury. And we know Chris Godwin probably going to miss this game. Yeah, I was going to mention that like the Evans Lattimore thing is really fun. Um, and Evans obviously does not go off against him historically. They bark at each other like it's just a really fun thing to sort of ISO and 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 watch throughout the end. You know, they're they're they've seen each other a zillion times. Um, they're going to see each other a bunch moving forward. It's just a great individual rivalry within a really fun game. Julio looked excellent. Uh, the the downfield uh, uh, catch that he made was uh, was I don't know looked like vintage Julio, right? He looked great. Yeah. As for the as for the Saints side, I thought Michael Thomas basically checked all the boxes, and I I know yeah. you know a couple of touchdown catches obviously makes your day look pretty good. Other than that, it was just five catches for what fifty some yards, but he did see eight targets. Um, you you have to like the way you, you know you you mentioned it earlier you have to like the way he's actually being he's actually being used it's not a bunch of short stuff same for Jarvis Landry i actually have Jarvis Landry as a like i think Landry and Thomas should be relatively close and i am bullish on both players i've got Landry in my top 30 um i'm starting him in a couple places uh, like healthy healthy jarvis landry is just a really good player um right. I, like sorry i didn't you know yeah. like i like he's just a really good player and it, it kind of messes up the the olavi plans a little bit um if one thing i'm i'm really interested on the Saints side is if this is a close game are we back to Jameis winston just throwing the ball 25 times a game because they it took it took a furious comeback to get him over 30 pass attempts against Atlanta, which, you know, not great. No, I agree with you. And I, I think it's just going to be fun to track. I just think if this Saints team is going to be kind of fun, right? Like, I think they're going to be a good fantasy team. And uh, obviously, we know the Bucks are as well. So there's no one here. I mean, even with Mike Evans and the history with Marshawn Lattimore, like, I think you have to play mike evans like i don't think you can get too cute with that so uh i think we know kind of what we got here with this bucks saints team I'm, I'm glad to hear you're that high on jarvis landry and um yeah i do love chris olave but uh yeah landry i kind of wish i hadn't just been like ah oh, yeah and they also signed jarvis landry like what? <laughs> they also signed jarvis landry. i wish i'd be giving that a little more credit uh over the offseason um next game here cardinals at Raiders Raiders are five and a half point favorites 51 and a half over under I already like the over uh, I mean the under on that one like I, I'm not sure either of these two teams have totally figured out yet although the Raiders I think I wouldn't be surprised if they get back on track and we'll, we'll talk on that my my question here the, the thing I, I want to know is like how, are we going to be leaving this game with the Cardinals panic meter you know relatively high because that was not a good week one performance. I know Patrick Mahomes is like historically awesome in week one. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is also just historically awesome, period. But I'm I'm a little worried that this Cardinals defense, which was missing a lot of players as well, and one of their cornerbacks was like had a cooking accident. You know, J.J. Watt is, is was not in the fold. I don't know, man. I'm a little nervous about the Cardinals defense and only offense. We know they're dealing with problems as well. New Hopkins not coming back for a while. Rondell Moore is still a little banged up. Like, you know, they got – Greg Dorch out there getting a bunch of passes like that's not what you really want to see so I think we could be coming out of this one a little like ooh, a little concerned about our Cardinals yeah the Cardinals whole thing is that they race out to a crazy record in the first half of a season of the first 10 games and then and then they detonate right like that's who the Cardinals yeah. are we've established that now over multiple <laughs> seasons so this is going to take some getting used to if they're just bad out of the gates. That's um, that's a whole new uh, Kyler Murray experience for me. Haven't haven't dealt with it before. They like their game wasn't even competitive. Like it didn't even make it a half as a as a yeah. competitive game. That was um, that was a really rough watch. 
I was I was on Chris Harris's podcast yesterday, and he was sort of deriding uh, Hollywood Brown, saying that he basically scored a fake touchdown in the, in the second half of that. <laughs> it kind of was, kind of was. Yeah, wasn't all yeah. the it wasn't all the targets that you would want to see for Hollywood Brown in a game in which they fell behind by like multiple scores really early, right? It was I think he had like a six target game. Greg Dortch uh, uh, again, like Greg Dortch was really good in the preseason. He was a bit of a preseason hero. I don't mean to like demean him exactly, but you would have you would have thought that would have been the script for Hollywood Brown to see yeah. like a 10, 12 target game. It didn't happen again, not competitive at all. So I don't want to, I don't want to read too much into one week. I think this is a great spot for Brown here. I've got him ranked really aggressively. Like it, I don't know. Same, I, th- yeah. I, I feel like this is like a 28, 24 type of game and it's really hard to get to that score without giving Hollywood Brown a touchdown or two, <laughs> you know, like I, I just, I right. can't tell you look at, you look at the rest of the Cardinals and where the, where are the points going to go. Um, I think he's their clear number one. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish about him. My, my point for this game, my, my issue for this game was, uh, Josh Jacobs who, you know, and I'm, I listen, this is, I'm not victory lapping Josh Jacobs. He didn't have that kind of game in opening (laughs) week, but he did, uh, you know, he did control the backfield, uh, 60% of the snaps out touched everybody else. That wasn't really a competition. And he's facing a defense that just gave up three touchdowns to, uh, to chiefs running backs, right? A couple to CH and, and one to Pacheco late, uh, when that game was way out of hand. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for a big week from Josh Jacobs. I'm expecting it. Um, again, really good player. The guy, the guy had like 11 touches in opening week, <laughs> seven missed tackles. Like he's, he's good at football. He's, he is, Unfortunately for the the community of Josh Jacobs haters, he is he is actually good at football. It's funny, Josh Jacobs is like a player that, you know, he's not quite, a, you know, I've got my guys like Sterling Shepard and Curtis Samuel. He's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, admittedly lower tier receivers that I've like really sunk my teeth into and like stuck a claim on, right? Like you can do that with that level of player. And then obviously it's like, oh, I'm a big Stefan Diggs fan. Well, I mean, I was a big Stefan Diggs fan before anybody else, but like still it's like, there, there's like that level of the, on the spectrum there. And then there's like that middle there where Josh Jacobs probably falls into like verifiably good, but like, Nobody really cares. I love that you've staked yeah. your claim to like that level of player here, Andy. <laughs> so I mean that's that's good branding by you, pal. That's good, that's good branding by you. I yeah, like nobody's I, nobody's I, fighting me for the Josh Jacobs type, I'll say that. Right, right. But but you're also not wrong, right? Like he is a good player. It's just he fits it's running back is such a weird position, man. Yeah. So um it's like if you're not a if you're not like Ramondre like Ramondre Stevenson, like I oh, we just like I, I'm a truther for Ramondre Stevenson. He needs the ball or like I'm a big Saquon Barkley fan. Like that middle ground of running back really nobody cares. Nobody cares the, about the thing with the thing with Jacobs. And the reason that I think people don't get like crazy for him is that his like superpower in the NFL is that he can take a carry that that should go for a one lo- one yard loss and make it a three or four yard gain. And that's never a highlight, right? But there's, no. there's, you know, there'll be two missed tackles associated with it. There'll be just an incredible move behind the line of scrimmage associated with it. But nobody's, nobody's showing highlights of like three yard gains on, you know, second and eight. But that, that's like, that's like a Josh Jacobs specialty. He's not a, you know, he's not a guy who's ru- going to run away from anybody. I don't know what his 40 time is. He's probably like a four, six guy or something like that, right? He's not a burner. Um, he's just got incredible moves in a phone booth. Yeah. What a shame. Poor Josh Jacobs. Um, I, I'm I'm with you though, that I think the 
I think the Raiders are really set up for success here. Like, I'm not too concerned about their offense after they, I mean, they had three turnovers against the Chargers, but I'm not too concerned here. Um, I, I would even go back to like the well on Hunter Renfro at this, like, hopefully you don't have to, but I would go back to the well on Hunter Renfro here. And, and Darren Waller was pretty good usage in week one. So I, I think you know who where the, the Raiders are pretty good. Like, you know where, you know where the ball's going with the Raiders. And that was at least verifiably true after a lot of uh, theory about that. Yeah. Devontae with like 105 targets in opening week, which is great to see. Where did you have Devontae Adams coming into this year? Um, I had him as like a like a back end of the first round sort of player, which is apparently but too like, low. Like 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 <laughs> like, pos- like positionally, like positionally, where did you like a wide receiver? What? Um, I'm gonna say wide receiver five or six. I'm trying. I'm so trying to. Di- have- I'm tr- wherever I had CD Lamb ranked. I'm trying to disavow it. So let's just say I had. Right. Well, that's what I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see if you need to be on the island of uh, misfit morons like me and Dalton Del Don, who uh, like we just we absolutely filleted ourselves on the last podcast for being so stupid to rank like CD Lamb over Devontae Adams. So uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm feeling pretty bad about that. I'm. I'm like. I'm like need to pray to forgiveness at the wide receiver church or something <laughs> like that. So that's for sure. Um, next game, Dolphins at Ravens. Ravens are three and a half point favorites, which I don't know. That seems a little uh, a little low to me. Forty four and a half over under my uh, where, where are you at in this game? Because I, I, I've i got a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, I, I'd rather you just you just take the oxygen on an important player here. <laughs> Man, there's a there's a ton of stuff to talk about in this game. Um, I, I think perhaps the most interesting uh, for fantasy purposes is that J.K. Dobbins was a full participant in practice on Wednesday. And obviously, under normal circumstances, if, if somebody's practicing in full on a Wednesday, they're going to play. Let, let's hope he gets back on the on the field. Um, Kenyon Drake was not everything you might have hoped for in week one. Mike Davis was barely a rumor like they don't have guys outside of Dobbins like they're going to need Dobbins and Edwards back to to be the offense that you know the the sort of offensive identity that we've seen over the last couple of years so I want to see I don't even have a lot of Dobbins but I want to I want to see him um it's been a I don't know it's been a it's been a weird preseason for him because he's been he's been active a lot he's been doing stuff a lot and yet all the national reporters are like oh yeah it's going to be weeks before he plays oh there he is limping around and then he's firing back on people who are saying that he's limping <laughs> yeah. around right it was just a weird Really weird preseason. Um, so I'm anxious to see him actually get on the field and play like 30, 35 snaps because um, he's a he's a very like when healthy, when he's right, he is a very different player than uh, than Kenyon Drake. Uh, and they they needed it because they didn't get like obviously they had a bit of a laugher in, in week one, given the opposition. Right. But, you know, they're to beat good teams. You're <laughs> you know, if your identity is we run the football 30 to 35 times, you're going to need J.K. Dobbins to do it. Yeah, they absolutely need J.K. Dobbins. I, I kind of hope they take it slow with him. Um, Just like we don't want I mean, even though he tore his knee so long ago, like it wasn't like a Chris Godwin or a Michael Gallup type of situation where it was late in the year. Like I still would rather, you know, you just don't want to have happen what exactly what happened to Chris Godwin, which is like probably a compensation injury in the first game. Right. When they I still don't know why they rolled out Chris Godwin in that game. It's like, oh, just not. I don't know. It doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think with with J.K. Dobbins, yeah, it's just like I hope they take it slow. But God, I hope it, it, at the same time they might not be able to afford afford it because like how long can they really go with the Kenyon Drake show here? And I, I do agree with you that like the Ravens passing game, even even the passing game and the running game, just not like I don't think they had to move too much in, in week one. It's like I know Robert Sala saying like we're not the same old Jets, but like you need to look not like the same old Jets. And they looked like the same old <laughs> Jets that the that the Ravens just could walk in there and 
barely uh, punch out of that one. I think that we'll see more of what the Ravens actually look like in this game because Dolphins defense, I do still have a lot of respect for. Um, but my my big thing here is how does Tua fare behind a banged up offensive line? Because I, I'll say this, I, I'm I don't want to become like a Tua hater. And because there's that that corner is crowded enough already, but I still have some level of doubt. I still have some like level of skepticism with how good he can be as a player. And I will say it's as good as Jalen Waddle's fantasy line was as good as Tyree kills usage was in week one that you love to see that stuff, but two is still left throws on the field. Like there's no doubt about it. You go back and watch that game on, on film. Like he left throws on the field, which is, which is fine. He's, I don't know how, then you'd be a late quarterback or anything, but I do want to see if, if Teron Armstead and uh, Austin Jackson, you know, missing some practices this, this week and the Ravens, they're still kicking ass up front. Like they're still doing yeah. a lot of the fun um, blitzes, stuff like that. Uh, they're still doing a lot of the fun, like pressure packages in addition to some like more softer zone coverage. I think that they're going to be a tough defensive out every single week. And, and this is a pretty big test for Tua. I, I will also say that we're we're already back to the uh, Ravens secondary being banged up, right? Kyle Fuller goes yeah, out with true. a with an ACL, and that was, you know, by the by the end of last season, um, I can't I can't even tell you who was on the field for the Ravens in the secondary it was terrible. Um, like it was Joe rough. Burrow had like six hundred yards against them or whatever in the, in one of the final. I mean, it was it was brutal. Um, they were a really rough watch, and so that is not trending the right direction. But you're right, they're they're good up front, and last year. Miami's offensive line was terrible. It was part of the Tua story, and it resulted in Tua never, ever, never, ever going downfield. <laughs> right? Like everything was, everything was near the line of scrimmage, and uh, maybe that, maybe that suits him. I don't know. We'll probably see a lot of that, though. Yep, uh, we, we'll see, man. Uh, overall, like I think you're still starting Tyree Kill. Of course, I'm probably not that interested in starting Chase Edmonds in this matchup, especially if there's offensive line injuries. Yeah. Um, next one here, man. Hey. Hey, the Lions are going to be involved higher in this show than everybody thinks um, because they look like a fun fantasy team, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We've got commanders at Lions. Lions are one and a half point favorites at home over under here. Pretty spicy, 48 and a half. Andy, talk to me about your thing that you're watching in this game. Yeah, you're you're so right. These might be bad teams, but these are probably going to be fun bad teams, right? Oh, like yeah, if you're going to if you're oh, going to yeah. be yeah, <laughs> like if you're going to be like a 3 to 5 win team, do it this way. Do it the way the Lions are about to do it and the way that the Commanders are are maybe about to do it. We'll see. Um my my thing here and it's really a small it this isn't even a criticism exactly, but I I I thought the the receiving distribution for Detroit was going to be really interesting because, and we had talked about this before, like it, are those the workloads that Amon Ross St. Brown was getting at the end of the year last year? Is that like, does that carry into this season? And if so, where does it come from? DeAndre Swift was awesome in week one, no complaints. He was great. It, it was mostly on the ground. He saw three targets, um, which is, you know, I imagine that if you drafted DeAndre Swift like in the second round in any sort of PPR league, you did it because you still had it in your head that he could be at 75, 80, 90 catch receiver. I really don't think that's going to happen. Three targets in the opener. Last year in the opener, he saw 11. Like they were they were building the passing game around DeAndre Swift. And it was the same old Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, a dozen targets. I think he caught eight of them, right? Great game for him. But it just... it. The game that that St. Brown had fits in perfectly with his game log in December of last season. So it it does, in fact, look like that's just going to hold. And those, you know, those targets have to come from somewhere and maybe they come from Swift. 
Well, I think they do come from Swift, and um, I'm going to make the case that this is actually a good thing for DeAndre Swift, and not just because I'm clearly so in far in the bag for Amon Ross St. Brown. So <laughs> let me just say that out of the way. And I think you actually already saw that change happen when they moved away from Anthony Lynn as the play caller last year. Like DeAndre Swift's targets started coming down, and like, yeah. I mean, what do we just say with with Alvin Kamara earlier in the show? Which is funny because Dan Campbell has compared Alvin Kamara to DeAndre Swift. Like, you, why would you be dumping? And the Lions aren't probably not going to be like a great offense or anything like that, even if they're a good fantasy offense. But why would you want to be dumping the ball down to DeAndre Swift when you have like legit dudes at wide receiver? I think St. Brown's a legit dude. I think DJ Chark's a pretty good player. And, you know, TJ Hawkinson, your guy, he's still an active NFL player. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> also, the thing with, with DeAndre Swift, like, I think if you drafted him, you, you drafted him with the catches and targets in mind because you thought he needed those catches and targets because he wasn't an efficient runner last year. And and That's this year, point. he looks like he might be an efficient runner. We talked about it on the show with Dalton yesterday. He was top five in both yards before contact per rush and was number two behind only the great Saquon Barkley in yards after contact per rush. Like, they have a good offensive line, and if Swift has really – evolved as a player to being a good rusher i don't actually think i'm i'm too nervous about deandre swift as a fantasy player i'm i'm we'll talk about aaron jones later when we get to it but i'm already really um concerned that i drafted aaron jones over deandre swift and and uh, i like i think i think week one was a win for deandre swift even without the targets oh yeah yeah there's no question about that it's just a situation where it might you know it's good news for saint brown expected news but good news for saint brown and it's, you know, Swift is probably going to end up being a big hit for you. It's just going to be for a completely different reason than than you'd expect it. Hey, it's always great to be right for the wrong reasons, right? Like that's a, <laughs> that's that as a fantasy player or fantasy analyst, even like if you can be like when, uh, you know, I was going to be the 10th Curtis Samuel reference on the show. And um, I'm going to make like five more here when we talk about Washington. But um it was like when, uh, you know, Curtis Samuel got to a thousand yards from scrimmage. I was like, oh, big W for him in 2020, even though it's like, yeah, I didn't think 200 of those was going to come as a rusher, but whatever. Um, so on Washington, I mean, dude, are, do we just need to get like all aboard the Wentz wagon at this point? Uh, like that, that wagon's had like three broken wheels for the last couple of seasons. Uh, we might be needing to saddle up and ride with the Wentz wagon again, man, because I know Carson Wentz isn't that great. But this offense is is good, man. Like you just, I I tried to make this reference with uh, our our mutual friend James Coe the other day, and it fell straight up flat. Do you do you watch do you watch Arrested Development? Have you seen Arrested Development? Uh, but years ago, yeah, back in the day. You, well, you know the gif of uh, the one guy Tobias when he goes, "There are dozens of us." <laughs> that's like that's like me and 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 the 11 other like scott turner bros on on like football twitter i love scott turner calls a great offensive game plan um so the dozens of us that are a big scott turner fans are, are watching that week one film like man this is exciting you've got legit guys all over the field i mean the pride of lynchburg virginia logan thomas he's even back in the mix here man and like this just this offense looks like it's going to put up a lot of points and honestly from a fantasy angle you could say that the fact that Wentz is going to puke on his shoes at least once per game that's going to keep the like the other deep the other offense in in the mix here too and like I just think it could lead to a lot of points for 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 the Washington receivers who I mean McLaurin Dotson and Samuel that's a trio that should I don't know like I, I I'm I'm thinking that Dotson at least for sure and Samuel's I'm still keeping Samuel a little lower than Dotson just because I think Dotson's going to be on the field more. But these guys are like 
fringe fantasy starters at this point, I think. Yeah, listen, I, I especially when we get into the into the bye weeks, we're going to be we're going to be playing Curtis Samuel all the time. I mean, I, you know, I hate to say that I'd, I'd forgotten just how great like a, a healthy Curtis Samuel can be. But he was again, he was so good in opening week like that is it. And he's he's such a he was not a totally unique player in the NFL, but there's not a lot of teams that have one of those, you know, um, and it, it makes him such a great complimentary piece around guys like Dotson and McLaurin. This is just a well-built receiving core. And it is, you know, you can, you can, it probably won't happen, but you can imagine a season for Carson Wentz that looks like the one good fantasy season that Blake Bortles gave us, right? Where there were just a ton of mistakes (laughs) and he led the league in interceptions and fumbles. And it was, it was real life bad, but then he was like the QB four at the end of the day because you know he had Allen Robinson elevating him and he was throwing the ball a lot and like I, it it could be a really fun fantasy season, even you know even if Commanders fans are not entirely uh, happy with the Carson Wentz experience. Based on my interactions with them on Twitter this week, they're pretty excited. Uh, just because I was tweeting about yeah. John Dotson and Samuel and stuff like they're they're pretty happy about uh, Carson Wentz and we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, man, I'm I'm happy for Curtis Samuel, bro. And obviously, I know I've got a, I've got history with the player, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see him um, winning in this way and just being a really really damn good player. This, this offense is fun, man. Because Scott Turner is going to make life easier for Wentz. I think even more so than Frank Reich did last year. I know that sounds like a hot take because Frank Reich's a great coach and all that, but just the different styles of these two units. Um, like the, the Colts offense wants you to stay on the rails a little bit. Washington's offense with Turner, like you can get off the rails a little bit and they were still <laughs> going to give you, give you layups. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm re- ready and willing to be hurt by Wentz at some point, but um, I am really excited about this offense. Um, talking about ready and willing to be hurt again. Let's, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Next one up, we got Panthers at Giants. Giants Giants are minus two. The over-under is a, a beefy 43 and a half here, Andy. Um, what do you what do you want people to know from this game? Um, yeah, first first of all, I've made a huge mistake with Saquon Barkley, right? Like I don't I don't have, I don't have very much Saquon at all. He was great. He was the best back in the league in week one. He was incredible. Absolutely looked phenomenal. I have nothing bad to say about him. I uh in fact I like going into week one, I was I was so uptight about not having really any Barkley at all that I I just every DFS lineup contained Saquon, so that went well. Um, but he's, that's good. Yeah, like for me, he's just going to be a <laughs> guy that good, I roll yeah. out there in DFS because I don't have I really don't have any like season log shares of Barkley. I was nervous he wasn't great last year. He's a super talk about another again. guy. I'm going to be looking at Aaron Jones every single week, thinking, oh <sighs> boy, yeah, that one's that one's definitely going to leave a mark. The um the the thing that I uh, you know that I flagged uh, at least coming out of opening week for the Giants is that. And obviously, many other people have talked about this. Uh, Kadarius Tony barely played. <laughs> he got outsnapped by Richie James, uh, forty-two to seven. Kadarius Tony looked like a star last year. Like when he has the ball in his hands, he is unlike most other players in the NFL. So that really floored me. The second he actually starts to see the field, um, we need to get really interested in him. I think he's a. I think he's a huge talent. Um, but it's wild that he barely played. Yeah, I mean a couple things on Tony. I I'm with you that like the second he gets on the field, he's going to be usable in fantasy. And for that fact, like you don't 
unless you're in a really shallow league, I would try. I would really try to hold on to Kadarius Tony here, because um, I think this could be similar to like Brandon Ayuk last year when he got in the doghouse, and, and he could eventually come back and be. I mean, Ayuk was a top twenty fantasy receiver last year. I actually think this might not even be. We'll see how long Tony's in the doghouse, because that's clearly what, what's happened here. They were not happy with the fact that he was injured all offseason and barely practiced. And they're like, all right, well, we're not just going to give this guy reps. Because, like, by the way, Kadarius Tony is not an established player. He, he's not yeah. like he we we like him as a talent. Uh, I've got I do still have serious questions about Kadarius Tony, like as a route runner, as a technician and like how he fits into a real NFL offense, not just getting design touches. But put those aside for a second. He's a talented player. And and once he gets out there, like he'll he'll earn his he'll earn his snaps. But he's not uh he's not like a like Devonte Adams misses two weeks in practice, or even like a even like a Marquise Brown misses two weeks in practice. There he'll just go right back to the starting lineup. But Kadarius Tony's not that guy yet, especially because it's a new coaching staff. So I'm with you. I would try to hold on to Kadarius Tony, but um I don't know. It's gonna get tough. It's gonna if he comes out here and plays, you know seven snaps again man like yeah. it's going to be tough I, you, when the waivers can't start hold, rolling you can't hold him yeah if you're one and one you're oh and two you can't hold on to a guy who's not playing like i like i i, I agree with you he's not he's not some technician um and he was not billed as such coming out of coming out of college he's just one of those guys that like he's made his third move and you're still reacting to the first move yep. right he's just electric um and, yeah. and there's not a lot rare, of players rare like ability that. in the open field rare ability yeah. in the open field but I, I, it's it's hard to integrate a guy like that into the offense, especially when he's not around. Like that's I think why that's why I think we're at this point with um with Kadarius Tony. But w- by week five, if he's running you know a route on ninety percent of the dropbacks and he's earning like six to seven targets a game, he's gonna matter in fantasy, and you're gonna hate yourself for dropping him. So just <laughs> just be aware to live through that if you have to if you do end up clicking the drop button on Tony, just be ready for that. I'm also ready to see what the Panthers passing rate and overall play calling looks like they were number five in neutral situation pace last week and that's that's the Ben McAdoo offense man like he does play fast he does get things moving so um, I want to see if that holds and I want to see also then like can we get our can we get the guys involved here like we know who the two good players are on the are on this offense like Baker Mayfield to me looked like a guy who just hadn't spent a lot of time in the offense in week one yeah so I'm willing to kind of give him a pass for week one, but here in week two, if he still looks a little rocky and this team still looks like it's a little out of sorts and not just like hammering Christian McCaffrey and hammering uh, DJ Moore, I'll be a little worried about the Panthers. And this is this is uh, the Giants are still, I think, a, a favorable defensive matchup. Yeah, week one target leader for the Panthers was Robbie Anderson, which um, didn't didn't see it coming. Um, <laughs> I would I would have assumed that they would have absolutely fed DJ Moore and and Christian McCaffrey, but it was eight targets for Robbie Anderson, and then just everybody else got like two or three. Anderson, of course, got his one big play, did almost all of his damage on that. That's kind of who he is. But I mean, if if he's actually in for but seven, eight, nine targets a game, he's going to get really interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. Next game up here, Falcons at Rams. Rams are 10.5-point home favorites, 47 over-under here. Andy, I'll I'll start this one off with, um, does Drake London pass another pretty big test? And also quietly, is is this really a big test? Like, is this Rams defense actually going to be that good this year? Um, But, you know, I, I think that Drake London was a like a pure outside receiver in week one looked good coming off pretty much no practice in in uh, the latter portions of training camp of the preseason and 
he earns earned a ton of targets, right? Like I think Drake London, if he looks good again in this game, if he gets really good opportunity again in this game, I, I might be ready to say he's like a top twenty fantasy receiver, like because I think he can be that good. Now this is theoretically a good defense, right? Like I said, Jalen Ramsey, he did get cooked by Steph Diggs in in week one. Like maybe kind of pay attention to the guy streaking past you, who's one of the best receivers in the league, even if you think you have safety help there. <laughs> just just my advice. Um, but overall, it was also like, yeah. it was one of those moments where like Diggs, you know, had the hand up right away and was like, oh yeah, exactly. Man. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> and that was um, yeah, Jalen so Ramsey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I. I want to see if Drake London passes another test here. I'm not worried about Kyle Pitts. Dalton and I talked about that yesterday. Um, I don't have any anxiety about that, but I do. The big takeaway for me in the Falcons week one was like Drake London's here and Drake London is, is a guy that you want to be buying before he has the eruption game. This is probably not the eruption game, but like keep looking for those signals. Um, To your, to your point on Drake London, like he, he made a catch in his, in his first preseason action and got injured on it and then didn't play again until the the I think the week of practice leading <laughs> leading up to opening week right so he wasn't even involved for a lot of camp in the in the preseason finally gets himself back on the field and boom right out of the gates it was it was seven targets which was really good to see very talented player that I've I've moved into a bunch of starting lineups obviously had him on the bench in the in the opener but I've moved him into several starting lineups and the the other thing that I would just like to mention on the Atlanta side is that uh, we, we saw a career high in rush attempts for Marcus Mariota, which was pretty exciting. It didn't really do anything through the air. Not that he was terrible, but uh, a dozen carries and 70 plus rushing yards is going to make him fantasy viable more often. Like, I don't I don't know that that rushing workload really holds throughout the season. I don't know if I don't know if he can, uh, you know, I don't I don't think he's going to clear 70 yards against the Rams necessarily, but it was really exciting to see. And it's it's almost like the way that we'd expected Marcus Mariota to be used when he came into the league and and somebody's finally doing it now that he's on like his third team. The question that I had for this one, and I, I think it's probably the biggest one of the bigger fantasy questions of the week is um, what does this Henderson Cam Akers thing look like? And if. Like we're going to be talking about dropping Cam Akers if he has another yeah. game in which he plays like seven, eight snaps and, and like just gets, you know, I mean, three carries for no yards is obviously really bad, but he just he wasn't even on the field. And then he was he was dissed a little bit by McVeigh afterwards. Like Henderson's fine. I don't know that Henderson can. We haven't seen Daryl Henderson hold up to a full to a full workload over a full season yet. Um, and maybe that won't happen. But Sure looks like coming into this game, you're, the safest assumption is that it's just Henderson's job and you have to think of him as like a top 12, top 14 fantasy back in a, in a week like this. It's not like they're not like anybody expects the Rams to fall behind by multiple scores to Atlanta and all of a sudden Henderson's out. No, that's not going to happen. So the, the big open question here is whether Cam Akers can force his way into a committee. That's that seems crazy to talk about. Um, because he was like, if you have him, he was probably your third round pick. But we're going to be pretty close to dropping him if he's if he's a no show in this one as well. Probably going to go down as the worst pick in fantasy unless things change down, unless things really, really change here, like in the next couple. Because it's one thing if yeah. like your guy in the second, third round gets hurt or the first, God forbid, your first round pick gets hurt. It's another thing when you just take like, by the way, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say like I took Allen Robinson in like the third round of drafts last year. And it was like that was an unusable play, like an un completely unusable player. 
Um, a guy that like I probably should have dropped weeks before I did eventually drop him, right? By the way, Allen Robinson also playing in this game. That's another guy we need to see some more from uh, as yeah. well, of course. I, I'm not I'm not really concerned about Allen Robinson, but I'm obviously concerned about him. Dude, your guy Kyron Williams was going to run out as the number two back if he didn't get hurt on like a special team I know. Last, last week. I know that's that's wild, and now now he's obviously out of the picture for like half the season, um, which is really unfortunate because that's a pretty talented guy. But um, that yeah, the Cam Akers situation is uh, is a huge red flag. I agree with you on Allen Robinson. He 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 almost never came off the field. Uh, obviously, two targets is bad, and one of them was like an utterly pointless, hopeless target. Um, yeah, but, we don't count that one. He saw one target, and we yeah. we don't count that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. While that was any sort of competitive competitive game, he saw he saw one target. But I, you know, I we, we were having conversations about Robert Woods last year too, as as if like right. what what the hell happened to him in this offense? And not much was happening for a little while, and then he had a blow up game, right? Like that's and that's not great. Um, Robert Woods was gonna have a good overall fantasy season last year, but a lot of it was gonna be compressed into a handful of blow up games. And maybe that's what it looks like for Robinson. Um, but that's obviously somebody that I would hold on to. Because again, he, he almost never came off the field. He, he ran a route every time they dropped back. Like there's, there's a lot that you can look at with Robinson and say, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. I can hold here. I'm also pretty convinced the bills are going to mow down teams like that all year long i mean they might legitimately have the best offense and defense in the entire nfl that's uh they're going to be a really good team this year um all right andy and i are going to blow through the rest of these kind of rather dustier teams right after this break searching for nba playoff coverage we've got you the old man and the three presented by bmw gives you an inside look into the world of sports Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Andy, we've got Seahawks at 49ers. 49ers are minus eight. Obviously, for me, it's just Trey Lance. Like, I think this this game is kind of pretty cut and dry. Like, all right, all right, Trey Lance is not going to be playing a damn monsoon there uh, this this week. Can we get a real NFL game out of Trey Lance? <laughs> yeah, again, again, I don't I didn't even think Trey Lance was terrible in opening week, given the conditions given the fact that his own receivers dropped, I think three passes in that one. Debo did not have a good game as a receiver, but I like I'd give anybody a pass in those conditions. It was horrible. So I'm not overly concerned about that just yet. Obviously you put up a clunker against the Seahawks. It's a, it's a very different story that Seahawks are so, cause I like, I still don't know exactly what that defense is. I think it's bad. Um, cause the Broncos just marched up and down the field against the Seahawks and averaged almost seven yards per play. And then they just chose failure at every key moment, right? Like they got down to the goal line and they were like, no, we're going to fail here. We are going to, you know, hand it off out of shotgun and you're going to, and you're going to give the ball away. Like they, but they should have ended up with, you know, the Broncos should have scored 30 some points in that thing. That was crazy. Um, so I think the Seahawks are just sort of bad and the 49ers should have their way with them. They're a very good team. Um, don't know yet about Kittle, but like Debo's great. Ayuk's great. Man, Ayuk in normal conditions against the Bears was going to go off. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Eli Mitchell was also going to go off. Like it it was pretty clear that those two were going to be, you know, key players for the 49ers. Both of them were going to have huge days. Like Ayuk was making catches where nobody else was in the camera frame. And then obviously the, given the conditions it it all went sideways on the, on the, on the Seahawks side. Sorry, just just before we move on, I I do want to touch on just Jeff Wilson. Like where do you have Jeff Wilson ranked and like, who are, are there any guys that went pretty high in drafts? You're starting him over this week. Yeah, no, I ranked him like a, I was going to say like a coward, but I think I <laughs> it's really <laughs> cowardly. I mean, I don't, I don't think that Jeff Wilson is, I don't, I don't think that he has the burst that Eli Mitchell does. Like Eli Mitchell has that sort no. of shot out of a cannon thing. Like I think Jeff Wilson is always where coaches want him to be. Coaches love him. Teammates love him. All that like fine player. I, I don't mean to dismiss him. I just don't like, there's a gear that Mitchell has that he does not. And then on top of that, you know, Debo's going to get a bunch of care. Like they couldn't wait to give yeah. Debo carries once, uh, once Mitchell checked out of that game, Trey Lance is going to get yeah. a dozen carries in this thing. So I don't, I don't really see Jeff Wilson as somebody who's likely to handle more than, than 12 or 13 touches. And of, of course he could score two touchdowns on 12 touches against Seattle. That can absolutely happen, but it's just not, I can't project enough workload to say, yes, this is a must start, um, RB two. So I don't really have him in that range. I have him outside the top 25 running backs. That sounds right to me. That sounds right to me. I'd play him over somebody like Chase Edmonds, but you know, and, and I drafted Chase Edmonds as like kind of a low end RB two. So like that kind of that's where I would sort of have him there. Um, I do think this is going to be a rather interesting game environment for the running backs. Um, speaking of which, your thing people need to know: the Seahawks running back situation. Yeah, it's just that uh, uh, Ken Walker practiced on. Wednesday again uh, like normally a guy practices in full on Wednesday they are absolutely going to play so I I would expect to see him on the field I thought Penny looked really good uh against the Broncos like this is wild um you know like Rashad Penny waiting until basically the last six games of his Seahawks career to do literally anything for that team and then becoming one of the best running backs in football I mean this is just this is just a a glimpse of what Penny is when when healthy I assume that Penny is still going to control that backfield but you know they they did they did spend a second day pick on on Walker, uh, r- really good collegiate player, really good collegiate runner. Remains to be seen what he can do as a receiver. Not that they really throw to their backs anyway, but w- it'll be interesting to see how much he sees the field, if at all, because he is practicing. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel great for Gino in in week one, and I I think I was too hard on Gino at certain times in the off season, But this is still not an offense that I like want to be. It's like, oh wow, Gino played a great game. They still threw for fewer than 200 yards you know so i'm not like gassed up about anybody in this offense for fantasy it just yeah a lot of a lot of short range stuff to dk metcalf i know he caught everything but uh, what are you finished with like 30 some yards like that's that's not paying any seven catches or something yeah Yeah. no it's uh it's not gonna be great Uh, at least he's taking the layups where russell wilson was not taking the layups in that offense and Mm -hmm. he's still not really taking the layups in the denver offense but that's another (laughs) story for another time i'm sure nobody that listens to this podcast likes when i do the whisper thing even though i think it's funny (laughs) i'm sure nobody likes that no Um, everybody prefers your your fake analyst voice Uh, I don't think anybody likes that either, but uh, I, there's a lot of things maybe uh, maybe people don't like about me, but that's fine. Uh, we're not hey, everybody's not for everybody. That's the reality of the situation there. Um, all right, Colts minus four at Jaguars, forty five and a half over under. I mean, this game actually feels a little like little straightforward. Like both teams, um, we kind of know who the guys are. Like Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman on the on the Colts. Check 
dude, Christian Kirk probably gonna be like a top 20 fantasy receiver in PPR formats, but it's the backfield where I think there's some intrigue, Andy, especially on Jacksonville. Yeah, listen, um, in the in the category of things that I was just flagrant flagrantly wrong about, um, James Robinson belongs there. Uh, and I, you know, I feel like we went over this several times, like I was just not in on the guys that suffered significant injuries last December. And uh, Robinson is is miraculous to me. Like I th- that he was great. Like he was he was great. It yeah. wasn't just this wasn't just like a, a a so-so game that was covered up by a couple of touchdowns. Like the touchdown run, he was just pinballing through people uh, around people like, you know, spinning off of guys like he forced a bunch of missed tackles over four yards uh, after contact per attempt in this game. Like he just looked he looked exactly like rookie or James Robinson. Um, no worse for where Torres Achilles like. 260 days prior so this recovery right. is really astonishing um yeah, l- he wasn't like cam Akers, you know where it's like okay <sighs> cam Akers is recovered from his achilles injury and he's back you know taking 20 carries for 20 yards you know something like that in the damn playoffs you're right james robinson looked really good yeah he i mean he split the workload with travis Etienne, who could have had a better day i mean Etienne had one you know there was yeah. a misfire from Trevor Lawrence, and then there was another one that he just sort of spiked to the ground that should have been, that should have become a touchdown. Um, but uh, obviously, not a not a great debut for Etienne, and Robinson looked phenomenal. Like, and I, that's another guy that I just I don't I don't really have any of except in in dynasty leagues that I just I just thought he looked incredible, and it, it it's not going to surprise me at all if we get you know within a couple weeks here it's James Robinson handling two thirds of the snaps, and Etienne is just sort of a, a rotational player. That's going to be really tough because some people, you know, spent I don't have ETN on a single fantasy team, but there are some folks that spent like late third, early fourth. Uh, yeah, you know, the only reason on- I don't have a lot of him is that there was almost always somebody in a draft who was like, oh, he's catching 75 balls like he's the he's the centerpiece of this offense. And well, maybe but that is clearly not going to be the case now. Coming out of week one, I'm not sure that there's a single like running back where we thought, oh, he's going to catch like a ton of passes and that's what's going to fault him into like being a like hitting his ceiling like that we feel a good about at all. Yeah. And I, again, I'm just it's all building towards Aaron Jones. <laughs> We're going to talk about later. <laughs> um, I will say, though, Naheem Hines does make for a really good sleeper in this play. I actually think like if you've got him on the bench, like throw him out there. We know Alec Pierce was uh, in the concussion protocol. At different points this week, uh, Naheem Hines uh, caught six passes on six targets. Like, if you're desperate, if you have, like, a here RB, zero RB build, I like Naheem Hines in this one. Yeah, it's a, a interesting start for Matt Ryan, too, because he obviously gets the defense that Carson Wentz just went off against. That should go well. Um, I, I guess we're going to learn if that was more about Wentz or if that was more about the Jaguars. Yes. Uh, also, the defense that kept the Indianapolis Colts out of the playoffs last year with the aforementioned Carson right, Wentz. So right. connected tissue there. Um, next game here, Bengals minus seven and a half at the Cowboys, uh, 41 and a half over under. I feel like I'm not going to, we don't need to talk too much about Dallas because my thing is like, is there any hope in Dallas? Um, probably not. The, another huge L for like this pat this back is going to catch a ton of passes. Tony Pollard. That's a, Ugh. that's one that's not looking good. He got embarrassed and pass pro several times, like, and they didn't line him up in the slot or out wide or any of that nonsense. And um, so I, I don't, I actually feel like we don't even really need to talk about the Cowboys. Like if you have better options than CD lamb, like good for you, you should probably start them over CD lamb. But um, I do have some, we Dalton and I talked about it on the last podcast, like just go back to listen to that. I don't know if you have any other burning 
Dallas takes. Otherwise, you can talk about Bengals. I, the, you know, the only thing that I'll say about Dallas is that, like, obviously, it's good news that uh, they're they're talking about Dak Prescott having maybe something like a four week timeline, maybe something like a three or four week timeline. But yeah. like, it's so stupid that teams throw that out there because now you're just now you're just setting you're up Dak Prescott. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we're going to publicly announce that Dak Prescott has this completely unreasonable timeline to return. And if it takes Dak five weeks, then fans are going to be now we've got fans mad at Dak Prescott for missing a, a timeline that was perhaps never reasonable. I just think it should be so obvious, like teams should always publicly announce the most conservative possible timeline. Like the tickets are sold, Dallas. I don't I don't I don't know what you're I don't know. I don't know what possible reason you could have to to tease people into the idea that Dak Prescott might be returning in three weeks. Again, I, I hope it happens like he he's great. He's really super easy to root for. I got no problem with him, with CD like that offense. I'm not anti cowboy. I just think it's wild to throw out the most the most aggressive possible recovery timeline. Jerry Jones definitely trying to will that into existence. Um, by the way, he has some he has some weird quote this week about like painting the Cowboys as like the David and the David and Goliath story. It's like, oh my God, pal, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I'll just hope Dak Prescott can get Russell Wilson's digits and find out how he rehabbed that finger 19 hours per day yeah. last year. Maybe maybe that's the plan. Get on, uh, get on old Russell Wilson's 19 hour per day rehab plan for Dak Prescott's <laughs> thumb or whatever. Um, but Andy, talk to me about the Bengals who ran like a hundred where they have like a hundred snaps last week. It was unbelievable. Crazy. Um, Joe Mixon, another guy that I'm like, gosh, I really have drafted Aaron Jones over Joe Mixon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe Mixon, crazy workload again, a hundred snaps. Um, wild uh the like the the Bengals are are this sort of offense where like you know who to play right their stars are huge stars terrible game from Joe Burrow that still ended up okay in fantasy off of off of extreme volume and the you know good work of Jamar Chase I mean he's gonna have that situation all year even when he throws multiple picks the the best news here I think is that T Higgins was back at practice on Wednesday um he suffered a concussion that's I don't know if you had secret plans for Tyler Boyd or something like that. It's probably bad if T Higgins plays, but um, it sure seems like as we speak, T Higgins is trending in the right direction, needs to clear the concussion protocol. But being back at practice on Wednesday is a really good sign. Yeah, it's a good sign. I would start like a T Higgins type over CD Lamb. No question about it. So hopefully mm -hmm. he's out there. No man. question. Um, next game here, Texans at Broncos. Broncos are 10 point favorites, 45 and a half over under. I feel like I kind of shortchanged this one in the rankings of fantasy entry because there is a lot of interesting questions here. Dalton and I talked about the Broncos receivers a lot on the last podcast. So I'll, I'll just ask a question, Andy. Do you think Javante Williams keeps up that massive passing workload? What he catch like 12 balls in week one? That would, that seems crazy to me. Um, how do you feel about that? I, I don't know about all that. Yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty wild. I mean, that's not a reasonable total for any running back to receive week in and week out. It was interesting to see Javante suddenly as the as the primary receiving option out of the backfield when I I would have assumed that that was going to be Melvin Gordon's role. It like it's fine. Melvin still played obviously enough to to really irritate all of the all the Javante yeah. people like I'm that's another one where like I'm I'm so sorry Melvin is still a good player it is not this is not yeah. oh, Adrian 100%. Peterson and Chester Taylor like Melvin is still a good player 
I get. Yeah, that's a little disrespectful to Chester Taylor. It, it actually, you know yeah. what? Chester was fine, like Adrian's rookie year. It's just Adrian Peterson was so obviously like yeah. It's just like Javante Williams is not Adrian Peterson, by the way. Like that's the that's probably yes. the thing here. Although I, I'll say like that. I do remember the Broncos saying in the offseason, like, we want to have a pretty good screen package. And I will say that, like, despite the fact that they traded for Javante, I mean, uh, for Russell Wilson, and despite the fact that everybody loves Corlin Sutton and, and all that nonsense, that looked like a team that the running back was the best player on the field. So I I, yeah. I could see them continuing to scheme ways to get him the ball in space. But all like the little I mean, it was just crazy how often Russ was like, nope, dump off the ball to, to Javante Williams. That was surprising. It was surprising. Uh, they averaged like again. They averaged almost seven yards per play in that game. It is wild how they managed it. Um, just an absolutely appalling coaching effort. Um, but like they moved the ball up and down the field without issue. Uh, Javante looked great. I thought Melvin Gordon looked fine. Like Melvin Gordon's just going to remain an annoyance. He's going to remain like ten or twelve touches a game. There's not much you can do about it because he's too good. He's too good. He's he deserves to play. Like if I can mention my favorite coach quote of the week by far, it was uh, it was on the other side of this game uh, for the Texans. Lovey Smith saying on Wednesday, we we need to get uh, Damian Pierce more touches. Like, <laughs> like that is that is in your control, sir. You you just it reeked of Urban Meyer last year with uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really know why Carlos Hyde played so much. You'd have to ask some of our other coaches, right? Right? Like my my God. Um, yeah, slight, uh, I'll I'll give Lovey a slight pat. Not not quite Urban Meyer levels, but yeah, I hear you. I hear you what you're saying. Super irritating. Um, like we knew Rex Burkhead was going to be involved. I did not think that they would actually like try to salt away a game with Rex Burkhead and lean on him quite as much as they did. He was fine. Um, he did about what you might expect Rex Burkhead to do under those circumstances. It's just that. We saw quite a bit of juice from Damian Pierce in the in the preseason, uh, had everybody excited. I think he's going to play a little bit more. I hope he's going to play a little bit more. If we have a head coach declaring that he needs to play more, then I assume that will happen. But uh, again, I don't know how we got to that situation last week against Indy. I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's resolved this time around. I mean, yeah, you'd hope so. That, he probably feels that way because he watched them try to salt the game away with freaking Rex Burkhead, and that didn't go so yep. well. Because uh, they should have won that game against the Colts, but uh, you know, 19 touches for Rex Burkhead. Give me a break. All right, Patriots minus two at the Steelers. This is a, oh boy, 40 and a half over <laughs> under. I mean, two things you need to know and watch. I mean, uh, nothing. No, but seriously, like, can the Steelers offense actually do anything right? Uh, I mean, the Najee Harris is hurt. The offensive line stinks. And like Mitch Trubisky is still stinks. Mitch Trubisky. Not, yeah. not, not great here. Not great here. Uh, I, okay. I did find one thing on the Pittsburgh side that I thought was pretty interesting. And that was Chase Claypool's usage in week yes. one. I mean, we expected, cool. you know, we talked a lot about uh, uh, Chase Claypool, big slot, all that. But played 39 snaps from the from the slot, right? Like that is his role. Um, that was exciting. He also carried six times, and they weren't all like gimmick. Like they had him in the backfield a couple times. Like this is going to be really fun if they turn Chase Claypool into a guy who's going to see six to eight targets a game and handle five six carries a game. Like that is a really fun role because he's a he's a special athlete even by NFL standards. Um, so that was just really exciting to see. Yeah, I agree with you, and it does kind of keep. I think that makes me a little, a little regretful on my like, oh yeah, George Pickens over Chase Claypool like talk going into this year, just because like those kind of create a touch um, plays yeah. are going to be good for uh, 
good for good for Chase Claypool. I'm still starting Deontay Johnson as like a, a low end two, high end three, because I mean he had another thirty percent target share. What do you know? Like guys who earn targets keep earning targets because they get open <laughs> all the time. So I mean, they're not going to be great targets from Mitch Trubisky, but I'm, I'm just hoping that Kenny Pickett gets in there soon. I know that they said like. They want to start Mitch Trubisky all year long. Well, you know, I want to find a treasure chest with a million bucks buried in my house, like, you know, but that ain't going to happen neither. So, uh, like, that's probably where we're at with that whole thing. So it's it's good to want things, as my friend Marcus Grant says. And on the Patriots, we didn't talk about the Patriots. Like, we probably don't need to talk about the Patriots. Like, don't – you could start Damien Harris, I guess, but – and, you know, Ty Montgomery's out for an extended period of time, but, like – don't I hope if you have to start a Patriots player like you better be in a super deep league and the receiver better be Jacoby Myers and nobody else or yep, you're Aaron right it, like it's it. it's literally got to be a, you know a, a super flex uh you can you know I can look away while you start the quarterback or it's got to be literally like a 20 team league to to start a Patriots receiver in a non-bye week and again it better be Jacoby Myers and like nobody else that's it uh, <laughs> Uh, all right, Jets at Browns. Browns are six and a half point favorites. Uh, we can breeze through this one. Forty over under. Um, Andy, yikes! Re- like really weird distribution of targets for for Cleveland. You know, like Donovan Peoples Jones with eleven targets to Amari Cooper's six. Um, Harrison Bryant out targeting uh, uh, David and Joku. I think it was four to one. Um, maybe it holds up. Maybe it doesn't. I think Peoples Jones is a pretty good player. Uh, it was surprising. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, on Twitter, uh, over the last couple of days, people are throwing Amari Cooper's name into questions where it's just never been before, right? <laughs> like I'm getting like, yeah. you know, random rookie receiver or Amari Cooper. Um, it's, it's really something. And listen, it's not going to be a dynamic passing game. So I get it. Unless Cooper is the clear unrivaled number one. He's not going to be a, a set it and forget it starter. He is a very strong candidate to be sort of this year's version of last year's Allen Robinson, right? Where he's he's always doing enough that you can't talk yourself quite into dropping him, but you also can't talk yourself into playing him. And then he's just and then he's just burning a spot on your bench, and he's got no trade value, and like it's just bad. Um, that it feels like maybe that's the way Amari Cooper is headed. But whatever, I'm reacting to I'm only reacting to one week. I haven't um, ever charted Donovan Peoples-Jones for reception perception, but there's like three or four hardcore DPJ fans in in my Discord that are like every week banging down my door to chart this guy. So I might have to, <laughs> I might have to relent soon if he keeps up like this type of usage. Because I, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, it, Amari Cooper is gonna sink and sink fast if uh, if yeah. Peoples-Jones continues to have this role. And I mean, in Joku, yeah, it's a tough break too. For me, it's a uh, on the Jets side, just does the playing time distribution hold? Like, when are we going to see Brees Hall kind of, is he, are we ever going to see him really just start to leave Michael Carter in the dust? I don't know. It might take longer than two weeks. And on the receiver side, Elijah Moore, clear cut routes run leader, 55 routes run. Um, The closest wide receiver was actually Corey Davis at 42. Tyler Conklin was number two on the team with 50. Um, But do we start to see, it, it, it does that gap change a little bit? Um, cause I still think more is like, I mean, he, he's going to be a boomer bust, like wide receiver three every single week. Um, you know, it wasn't like a terrible run out for him. Um, you know, seven targets, five catches, 49 yards with old Joe Flacco against the Ravens. This is probably a slightly friendlier spot, but then again, not really. I mean, this is a lot of good pass rushers going against an offensive line that is super banged up. 
there's there's a little bit of panic out there about uh, Elijah Moore because I've seen his name in a couple of like, hey, uh, you know, adding Curtis Samuel, okay to drop Elijah Moore. Like I've seen a lot of that. Um, oh yeah, don't be so, don't be dropping them. Yeah. So there's a there's like a, a buy low opportunity out there. Uh, again, uh, you, you know, he's running route all the time. He was the targets were fine. Like seven targets is fine in the debut. He's a really good player. I mean, I if there's anxiety about him, I would definitely make a I would definitely make an offer because. Just again, based on my own Twitter feed, I could tell you that there are some people who are a little bit disappointed. I I think the uh, one of the one of the most interesting things from the not that it was a, a super interesting box score for the Jets in Week One, but um, nine targets for each of the receivers. That felt like the you know like the remember that that the the Mike White uh, do we call it an era? <laughs> is that what is that what it was last year? Like the the handful of games that Mike White played and he targeted the out of Michael Carter, right? Like Michael Carter had maybe a 14 target game or so maybe I'm making that up, but it was a double digit target game, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. It was, it and was then it, maybe not 14, but it was a lot. And But then it ended up being something that Zach Wilson literally couldn't do. Um, yes. So we have this usage from uh, week one where they're targeting the hell out of the, out of the running backs. Zach Wilson could not throw a screen pass to save his life last year. It's and it wasn't like it wasn't like they didn't try. He was really bad at it, which is which is just a little strange. Um, but obviously, it requires some touch and some feel and some rapport with uh, with your running backs. But he was absolutely terrible at it. And so it'll be interesting to see if when he comes back in a in a handful of weeks, they just that's not there because it wasn't there last year. Like we went from thinking, oh wow, Michael Carter is going to be this dynamic receiver, and they just didn't throw to him again. Yeah, no, I, I that'll be interesting to watch. And I, I mean, we might we're going to see Joe Flacco a few more times, right? Like uh, or at least we're going to not see Zach Wilson. They said pretty much until week four. And, you know, Robert Sala also saying this week that like, oh, he's got to get his head in the right place, like kind of some stuff like that. that makes me feel a little weird about the Zach Wilson thing. Um, but uh, he was at least kind of sort of practicing a little bit or at least out on the practice field this last week. So I don't know, man. Like I said, Robert Sala really wants to tell you these are not the same old Jets and kind of look and feel like the same old jet so that's a that's a little <laughs> they really do all right andy let's move to the three night games why, why do we good two monday night football games man what are we doing here all right it's a little too, these are two good games theoretically but we'll get to that first we have to talk about sunday night football bears your bears at the packers packers are uh 10 point favorites and it's an over under a 42 we'll get to the bears in a second but andy i've been waiting all podcast to ask you how much should I be freaking out about saying all summer Aaron Jones is the perfect second round pick? And, you know, Scott Pianowski right there in my corner gassing me up, too. He's like, yeah, I'm with you. And I'm like, all right, Scott's smart as hell. Like, I must be right about this. And, you know, week one, 37 snaps for Aaron Jones, 31 for A.J. Dillon. Um, you know, just not eight touches for Aaron Jones, 15 touches for AJ Dillon. Dillon bangs in the goal line touchdown. Aaron Jones does run, you know, a ton of routes, 28 routes, but I don't know. I don't know. I know that Matt LaFleur said after the game, like that's, we got to get Aaron Jones, the ball more. I'm like, yes, correct. You do have to get Aaron Jones, the ball more <laughs> both for my fantasy team and your real life team. Am I freaking out a little too soon or, or did I overrate Aaron Jones coming into this year? I mean, I, I think it's appropriate to freak out a little bit, right? Because it was just eight touches, and he he basically saw the same. He saw, in fact, one less target than uh, one fewer target than uh, AJ Dillon. Which you know, some of the credit there goes to AJ Dillon, who's just been a much better receiving good, yeah. option than uh, I, I think a lot of us had had forecast when he was coming into the league. Like he's just a really good player. 
but on the other hand, I can talk myself into this idea that they could they could be leaving uh, opening week saying, okay, we got to find nine targets, 12 targets for Aaron Jones. Like there's a guy we can at least depend on. And maybe it's a bit like Dobbs looked fine. Um, but Watson had the drop of the week. Um, I don't even, Ooh, by, yeah. by the way, I don't even know if I should like, in terms of fantasy, uh, uh, viewpoint, if I should, if I should give Watson credit for that, like he, d- he did get himself open and Aaron Rodgers looked for him. It just, the ball went through his hands at like a horrible moment, but they could very well come out of opening week saying, okay, we've got to, we've got to recommit to Aaron Jones and, um, we've got to make sure that like he might very well be our most dynamic receiving threat and we've got to find him eight to 10 times. Um, that, that could definitely happen. So that is what I would be rooting for. I don't think there are going to be very many games where Aaron Jones is in line for like 15 or 16 carries. I, I think, I think it is pretty reasonable to think that AJ Dillon will probably double him up in terms of carries most weeks, but the receiving workload is where you'd really, you'd really expect Aaron Jones to shine pretty soon because again uh, all options basically failed them in in week one that might be unfair to Dobbs he was fine um Lazard probably coming back for week two I think he was uh, a participant in practice on Wednesday which would be a good sign so getting Lazard on the field would be a big deal um but yeah that's what I would be hoping for with Aaron Jones is that they just say okay we gotta we gotta throw to him a lot I'm not sure uh if I feel any better after that um but (laughs) I I will say a couple of things you know, hosting the podcast every day, it's like I hear your opinions and, and Scott's opinions and obviously Dalton's opinions and everybody else that comes through, Frank, Frank Schwab and everyone else. Like it becomes a situation where I, I have like and this is good, right, because it's the it's the push and pull of the disagreement and the the debate that hopefully the listen listener benefits from and me kind of playing that role here. Like at different points in the offseason, like as I'm gassing myself up about Aaron Jones, I've got like scott as the you know devil or angel on my shoulder saying like yes he's the perfect second round pick you're right you're right but then you've got you on the and i can i can clearly remember you saying at one point in the summer like the thing about aaron jones is that he very clearly has a a, an aj dylan problem and and now like the the devil or angel andy i'm not going to assign values to you guys but i'm not (laughs) yeah is clearly screaming in my ear like remember when i told you that aaron jones very clearly has an aj dylan problem so i'm hoping andy I love you, bro, but I'm hoping that you quiet down here <laughs> after after week two looks a little bit better. I'm glad you brought up Alan Lazard, too, because as much as I don't think Alan Lazard is like a superstar player, they do kind of need Alan Lazard out there because Rodgers yeah. trusts him. He has good hands, and I wouldn't be surprised if he catches like eight balls for you know 76 yards and a, and a touchdown or two in this game against the Bears um, just because he is he is that guy for, for Rodgers. I, I think that they I think that they should marginalize like Watkins and Cobb and keep like Watson yeah. in the fold just cause they need the juice. And you're right. He did get open uh, on that route. So we'll see, man. But um, all right. Talk to me about the bears here. Yeah. The bears, uh, like the city was so happy when the bears won an opening week. And it was such a, obviously a weird game, really difficult to take yeah. anything away from it. I think fields threw the ball like 16 or 17 times. One of them that, that, I mean, the game turned on just, an all-time sort of fluke play, right? Where, where Field scrambles a little bit in a monsoon, finds Dante Pettis alone uh, on the opposite <laughs> sideline, uh, and he marches into the end zone, and then the game just turned from there. Obviously, if Justin Fields is only throwing the ball like 17 or 18 times a game, he's 
it's really difficult to be a fantasy relevant quarterback on that kind of workload. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it, it, look at the games against the Packers last year, and it was 33 pass attempts in one and a reasonable passing total in the other. So you're going to have to throw to beat Green Bay. I think probably the most interesting thing on the, and I know people are a little bit panicky about Mooney, about Cole Komet, but again, the Bears barely threw, and it was a terrible environment in which to throw. So I would just wait until you get a normal day. Uh, in a normal game script to to make your decisions on those players like Mooney's Mooney's good Mooney's really really good he's the clear number one I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat that I, I think the most interesting thing here is Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery like if you just look at the box score Montgomery obviously like doubled up the touches no worries there I think he had 20 touches in the game that he wasn't particularly efficient but 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 it's fine it's the workload that you would have been looking for if you invested in Montgomery but like the critical drive of the game for the bears where they, where they sort of put the game away um, belonged to Khalil Herbert and he looked really good and he got the goal line touches. Um, so that is a, that is a real concern. Like in real time, it sure felt like the coaching staff was like, huh, we have something here in Khalil Herbert and we're going to ride it. And, and that is, and that is what they did. So they could very well come into this game and like, alternate series for these two backs like Herbert obviously had a very good season last year when when Montgomery was out different coaching staff and all that um but clearly they gave the ball to Khalil Herbert in the in the most important moments in in opening week in a win and I assume that's going to buy him some more playing time in week two you would assume I think that's definitely a huge situation to watch and Herbert should be on rosters across all fantasy leagues for sure um all right let's move to the two Monday night games. Like I said, man, these are four good teams here. These are two good games and they got to be going on at the same time. Come on, man. It's too early in the season. for It's really weird. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna have to keep the two TVs downstairs. Uh, yeah. Cause, uh, that's going to be tough. Uh, this would be a tough night in the house. That's for sure. All right. Titans at bills, (laughs) bills minus 10 over and under here of 48 and a half. I do feel like from a fantasy standpoint, these two teams are rather straightforward. Like we know who the guys are on, on, I mean, there's really only one guy in Tennessee, um, which by the way, and it's Kyle Phillips thing here. (laughs) Kyle Phillips, baby. Um, and then the bills, like we know you should probably be starting Gabe Davis, Steph Diggs, Josh Allen, like everybody else is kind of, you know, you're mixing in there a little bit, but, um, the Titans have given the bills some problems in, in, um, in recent seasons. I think this is kind of a different Titans team and definitely a different Bills team. Yeah, um, my my biggest thing on the on the Bills side, I think, is and this will probably be corrected. There's probably nothing for me to worry about here, but I've got Dawson Knox in a handful of places and two targets just isn't going to cut it <laughs> like mm-hmm. like one. He he rarely came off the field like that was really good to see. We like it when our tight ends are playing all of the time, but two targets in that one. The flip side, of course, is that the Bills are probably going to average like 35 points a game this year, and there's going to be plenty of touchdowns for Dawson Knox. Like it's really, it's really hard to, it's really hard to forecast this receiving core and not give Dawson Knox like six to eight touchdowns in a season when we expect Josh Allen to contend for an MVP and we expect that team to average over 30 points a game. So I'm not, not panicky on Knox, but um, it was a worry. Uh, you know, McKenzie scores like McKenzie is, is still kind of a, kind of a fringy deep league startable player, but the bills are, bills are just a party and the, you know, the, the bills defense also just absolutely overwhelmed the Rams offensive line in week one. And that'll be a, that'll be a thing to watch here too. Like, I really doubt that anybody outside of Derrick Henry is gonna, is gonna look like a startable player moving forward. Um, big, big yikes on Robert Woods, who, 
didn't see much of a target. I mean, like they built the passing game around Kyle Phillips. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of a joke, but it's not because um, they talked about him a lot in the preseason and they got nine targets in opening week. And I, like he appears to be a central player in their plans. Uh, I, I wouldn't start him outside of a deep PPR league, but yeah. that that was your target leader. Kind of think that could continue too, man. I mean, offensive line is a declining unit. Um, they're going to need to get the ball out quick. And dude, Kyle Phillips is good. Like I, I liked him coming into the draft. Um, I liked him coming out of the draft. It just was like this wasn't the depth chart I necessarily expected him to climb super quickly. Although he clearly has. So yeah, I agree with you. Like he's on the radar, but I'm. I don't think you're starting him just yet. Uh, of course. But dude, I'm. I'm definitely like if you drafted Robert Woods, like. He's a veteran. I could see by week three, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. giving up the ghost on this one because what's the what's the upside there? What's the upside there? Not a lot in this offense. Um, all right, let's move on to the last game here. Vikings at Eagles. Saved a good one for last. Honestly, I, we're pretty. Our our two things are kind of the same because yours is: Are we going to be cutting Devonte Smith on Tuesday? And for me, it's: Are any non frontline players going to step up? Because in week one for this, both of these teams, it was. Holy hell, AJ Brown is really good. Oh my God, Justin <laughs> Jefferson might catch two thousand, you know, c- catch two thousand yards this year, right? Like, but are any who else can step up? Because there are really good players on both of these offenses, and I think Smith is a good one to start with. Because there's a chance I think that like, not that they're going to overcorrect and suddenly like Devonte Smith is going to have forty four percent of the targets, but um, it could be a little more evenly split because while AJ Brown is an elite wide receiver, in my opinion, a top five talent in the league. Like, and I, I think he's going to have a monster season. I think Devontae Smith remains involved. I, I hope that's right. Um, I've got, <laughs> I don't have a ton of Devontae Smith, but in dynasty yeah. leagues I did. Cause I was, I was really high on him uh, coming out of school. Um, but four targets, no catches. Like this is another case where you just, you, you're going to have to move on. If we get two weeks of that, you know, if it's yeah, a agree, low yeah. target total and he only catches like one ball, um, I don't expect them to feed him like they will AJ Brown. I mean, AJ Brown is is clearly the uh, you know if not the centerpiece of the offense, it's it's him and the and and Hurts in the run game. Ten catches on thirteen targets for AJ Brown, and uh, every other Eagles receiver was like eight catches on on nineteen attempts. Right, <laughs> like everything right. that went to AJ Brown worked. And everything that went anywhere else just kind of didn't. Dallas Goddard was fine, but that's but that's it. That's all they got. Um, so Devontae Smith cannot afford another another zero, another poor game. Uh, if if he has one, then you pretty much have to move on. If it's another like four or five target game and he doesn't do anything, I think you pretty much have to move on because I'd be a little surprised if uh, this offense is able to support more than Goddard and uh, and and Brown. The Eagles did throw the ball a lot more than you'd expect in week one, which is great to see. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that I don't know that you're again. I'm not sure that I'd be ready to move on from Devontae Smith because he's playing a ton. And he's out there a ton. And like, I think he's going to have big weeks. I mean, it could be this week, right? Like he's probably going to run a, a lot of routes against Patrick Peterson, who is we talked about Christian Watson getting open on that route. He, Patrick Peterson, old man, Patrick Peterson was the one in coverage there. So like there yeah. could be some moments there for Devontae Smith. Like that's what I think we're just really watching. Like, does does he step up? Um, does Adam Thielen or KJ Osborne take like a step forward? Does Irv Smith play more for the Vikings? Um, and, and yeah, because I think at this point, like, hey, you ignored the 
the target worries and the uh, the projections for AJ Brown and you drafted him, congratulations, good for you. That was the right decision. You ended up with Justin Jefferson in the first round, congratulations, good for you. You did it. I think it's just everybody else here. That's what we're, our kind of question is. And I probably am going to break ties against starting any of these players this week, but I think it's an important lesson learning week, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think we're also like one more huge Justin Jefferson game and we're going to we're going to be talking about whether he's a 2000 yard receiver. Like I legitimately think that I'm already happen. talking about it, buddy. I'm already I'm already talking about it. Now. Like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're there. Yeah, we're already, I think Scott and I were already talking about it on Sunday, man. I'm, I'm already ready to say that this is probably like it's he's going to get within striking distance. So will he will he do it? Yeah. I don't know, but he's going to be within striking distance. I, you know, this is terrible. I should have the number in front of me, but the 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 number of times that he ended up matched up against like a safety or a linebacker in, in opening week was pretty crazy, right? And wow, what do you know? We can we can move a guy around, and uh, especially if we're facing a team that isn't going to shadow him, um, he's just going to feast. Yeah, and frankly, teams don't shadow as much, nearly as much as we think. So um, that's uh, it's going to be a big year for Justin Jefferson. That's for sure. Like, I think he was already an elite wide receiver coming into this year, and now like everybody's going to think he's an elite wide receiver coming out of this year because he's going to just go berserk. I mean, it's going to be a lot yep. of fun. And again, it's just who else steps up for these two teams? I think this is I, I between the I love the Bills. You know, I've been in the bag for the Bills and and Steph Diggs and Josh Allen for for a couple of years now, but. Um, between the two TVs on, I might have the volume up on this Vikings Eagles one because it could be pretty fun. Uh, that's going to be pretty fun. That's going to do it for us. I want to say this before we get out of here, too. If you like the show, rate and review the podcast. If you don't like the show, because normally I say, like, if you like the show and how could you not like the show, I shouldn't be so flippant and whatever. But if you don't like some of the things we're doing, some of the things I'm doing. Tweet at me and let me know. I'm open to feedback. I, unless you just hate me. If you hate me, like, I'm, I'm sorry, that, then... <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but not everybody's for everybody and it is what it is. So, but please, if you like the show, we'd love it. If you would rate and review the show, that'd be awesome. If you don't like the show, hit me up on Twitter. I'm open to feedback. I could take constructive criticism unless you just don't like me. And you can tell me you don't like me and that's fine, but we'll just keep moving from there. Uh, meanwhile, of course, you should and you can follow Andy Barons on Twitter at Andy Barons. You can follow me and let me know how much you don't like me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, Go check out how much fun the at Yahoo Fantasy account is having this season. Scott and I will be back on Monday morning with the recap of all of the Sunday games. And my God, there's a lot of good ones. Until then, we're out.